Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. This morning, I'm going to try to talk about miracles in about 30 minutes. It's going to work. I know it will. But uh, let's start with this. I've got a quote for you from Bill Johnson. He says, it's abnormal. Abnormal, not normal. It's, uh, it's weird. It's almost not right for a Christian not to have an appetite for the impossible. It's been written into our spiritual DNA to hunger for the impossibilities around us to bow at the name of Jesus. Wow. It's abnormal for a Christian to not have an appetite for the impossible. That means when we come up against a situation in our lives that seems like it is impossible, oh God, how's this going to happen? How's this going to move? What am I going to do about this? We don't run away from those things. We run to them. We're not looking to get away from impossibility. We're seeing it and we're running at it and we're saying, all right, the name of my God is big enough. We're running at Goliath in the name of our Lord. That's written into us. That's something that leaps on the inside of us. At least it should be. If you don't feel it, I'm telling you, it's still there. Just hear it. Here's another quote from John G. Lake about miracles. He said, Christ was a miracle. We talked about that last week. God actually became a man. All of the Godhead dwelled bodily in a human. Wow. Every Christian is a miracle. What if you're like, oh, I don't see miracles in my life. Guess what? You are a miracle. You are a walking, talking miracle. The divine and the human has become one in you. You're one with the Spirit of God. Wow. You are a miracle. Every answer to prayer is a miracle. Every divine illumination, every ounce of revelation that we have from God is a miracle. The power of Christianity in the world, it's a miraculous power. It's miraculous. Christianity is supposed to be about the power of God from beginning to end. We don't do psychology. You know, we don't do good moral teachings. We're all about the power of God in people's lives, transforming lives by the power of God himself. We are miracles. We are walking, talking, born-again miracles. God, help us to realize that ours is a high and a holy calling. See, we talked about the incarnation last week, and uh, the incarnation, it shows us this. It shows us that the miraculous, it, what, what the miraculous, the realm of miracles, the supernatural, the glory realm, whatever your language is, that that, that miraculous, it's, it's, it's not the escaping of the natural world. It's not trying to get out of and away from natural things. Rather, it's, it's the miraculous, it's the supernatural invading, permeating, infusing, enhancing our natural lives. See, in, in the incarnation, in the coming of God into man, in Jesus Christ, heaven and earth became one. And the supernatural, it's woven into the very fabric of who we are as people. We are supernatural people. The miraculous is not necessarily hard because it's natural to you. It's become part of who you are as one with Jesus. Jesus took that out there, spiritual, supernatural, miraculous realm, and he fused it together in humanity so that when you're in him, it's just as natural for you to be miraculous as it is to not be. The two have become one. It's tough to believe, but when you get it, I'll tell you what, you can stop striving trying to pump it out because it just happens. 
See, Jesus, from beginning to end, his life, it was full of miracles. His ministry, full of miracles. He was a miracle. And if you're a believer in Jesus, miraculous realm, that whole realm of supernatural activity and living, that's actually our inheritance. It really is. So here's the thing. When you look at the Gospels, there's 1,257 narrative verses in the Gospels. 484, or 38.5% of those verses in the Gospels, are devoted to Jesus doing healing miracles. It's almost impossible to open the page of the Gospels and not see Jesus do a miracle. It was really, really significant in his life. Signs and wonders don't belong to the margins of Christianity, to those out there uh, weird people who believe in that stuff. That's actually normal, basic Christianity. If Jesus is the template for what Christianity is, if Jesus Christ in his life is what a Christian should look like, then you know what? It's pretty darn normal, right? Miracles are tied to evangelism in the Bibles no less than 17 times. And the gospel of grace, it has to be. It has to be accompanied by miracles. And the miraculous is actually essential if you want to see people set free. I don't know if you've looked around at the world lately, if you've looked around at even the city of London lately, but there's a lot of problems. And it's not for a lack of trying. People are trying. They're throwing money. They're starting programs. They're doing all sorts of things to help people and to help make life better. But you know what? It's going to take a miracle. There's just some things that just absolutely need the miraculous touch of God to get better. I, uh, I heard somebody say this, I think it was last week at, at something I was at, where he said, you know what, in all of these plannings and all of these schemings and all the stuff that we do, we got to leave a little bit of wow in the how. When it comes to getting this stuff done, there's some things that just need the miraculous. So uh, let's just have a look for a second about the, the role of mir miracles and the miraculous in Jesus' life and ministry. Now, he came, and in Luke 19, he said very clearly, I've come with a very definitive purpose, and he let them know. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And you know what? We think about that as ourselves. We were lost. We're the lost sheep. But there was a lot of other things that were lost, too. Things about us, things that belonged to us that were lost. Identity was lost. Relationship was lost. As Madeline was talking about, power and authority in life, dominion was lost. And Jesus came to restore that all to us. And he did it in a way by once and for all putting an end to everything that separates and creates distance between us and God in real life and in our minds. And he went about it in such a way that in the process, he revealed to us what the Father was really about. So miracles are an absolutely vital component of who God the Father is. Because when we look at Jesus, we, we don't have to guess, God, do you want to do miracles in my life and in my world? Because we see that in Jesus, God's already said, yeah. I totally do. How do you know? Well, look at my son. He totally wants to do it. And the miracles and the things that Jesus did, they were amazing things that blessed people, but they also communicated something about the heart and the love of God to people. So Matthew chapter 8, verse, six, verse 17, Jesus was healing some people. And then it says, this was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and he bore our diseases. The miraculous, the miracle realm of Jesus, the miracles that he did, the miracles that he still does through his body, it's to show you. It's to bless you, to heal you, to make you better because he wants you well. But it's also to show us that God's not the God who afflicts. He's the God who heals. We already talked about this, but Matthew 9 verse 5, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, stand up and walk? He raised the guy up and he did it in such a way to communicate to everybody forever that sin is not a problem in experiencing the miraculous realm of God. See, sometimes we think when I get this issue cleaned up in my life, when I'm a little bit more holy, then I'll get a miracle. 
And if I get even better, then I'll start to do them. But here, right here, Jesus said, what's easier to say? Your sins are gone. They're pushed away. All that's required now is faith because they're gone. Sin is not an issue for you experiencing the miracles of God, either to bless you or through you to bless another. Luke chapter 5, 12 and 13, it says, Once when he was in one of the cities, there was a man covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground and he begged him, Lord, if you choose, if you will, if you want to, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him and said, I do. I do choose. I will to make you better. Be made clean. And it says immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus revealed the God who has already chosen in Jesus to heal you to do miracles on your behalf. See, sometimes we believe God can, but we don't believe he wants to, or we don't believe he will. Jesus forever said, hey, my father desires to do it. I'm going to do it. Any question you have about the willingness of God to work in your life in the miraculous way, let it be banished out of your mind forever. The Bible, the revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ, the inspired testimony of his life, he says, I will. I choose to do it. And that's a choice that he's made for all of us. I choose to do the miraculous in your life. Now, here's another thing. In the person of Jesus, he showed us that the, the miracle realm, the supernatural and the natural, were never actually supposed to be separated. You know, we, we've kind of really done a serious disservice to ourselves in, in Christ, charismatic Christianity when we talk about the realms of the spirit and the realms of the flesh. Who's in the spirit right now? Show of hands. Who's in the spirit? That's not a magical state. Romans chapter 8 says, if you, if you have Christ, you are in the Spirit already. You are in the Spirit because you're in Christ and Christ is in you. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're not His, it says. But if you do, you are in the Spirit. You don't have to work yourself up into that state. You are, that is your natural state. You wake up out of bed in the Spirit. You come to church in the Spirit. Unfortunately, the confusing thing is you might actually, you know, get mad at somebody in traffic in the Spirit, but you're still in the Spirit. Don't do it, but it happens. You're still in the Spirit because Jesus Christ is in you. And you know what? When you live with that consciousness, you probably won't flip that guy off in the, in the parking lot, right? <laughs> Just saying. But here's the thing. The, the natural and the supernatural, they're woven together in the person of Jesus. Now, you know, isn't it funny how Jesus could have done anything, but the devil took him up to, that, to the top of the temple and he said, jump? Why do you think Jesus didn't say, sure, okay, watch the power of God in my life? God created the natural world. He created it and he said, and he blessed it. And he said, it's good. He said, it's good that you should sink when you try and walk on water. That's a natural law. That, that's the way he made the world. He said, that's great. Human beings aren't meant to fly right? If you want to fly, you get an airplane, but your body's not going to fly. So when we're talking about the, mir the miraculous, we don't want to say that the things that God made are bad. He, the, the world he made, natural laws are great. They actually reveal something about who he is. They really do. But here's the thing. The natural order of things was to be subject to the will and the need of the people of God, not the other way around. Every time this natural order uh, challenged or, or the natural circumstances challenge the well-being, the welfare, even the pleasure or the convenience of the people of God. Jesus did a miracle. Jesus demonstrated the miraculous power of God to again subjugate those powers to man for their benefit. So in the lack of, of need, he, he doesn't say, go get a job. He multiplies loaves and fishes. 
When there's danger at sea, he calms the storm. See, he's made a very natural world, and it's good, and it's beautiful. He entered into it and embraced the limitations of a natural human body. But when those orders, when those things, when nature itself challenged that, Jesus said, no, no. You don't get to rise up and mess with my people. You actually serve my people. And he administered his power to bring it back under subjection to the people of God and to restore for the people of God. Jesus actually even did miracles in ways that had no salvific value whatsoever. He turned water into wine. Like, well, why? Why? I'm, I'm, there's lots of lessons in there, and it says it's a sign. John 2.11, Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. And by changing water into wine, it said he revealed his glory. That's crazy. Jesus took six big things of water, turned it into wine, and said, there's my glory. Wow. That's crazy. He, Jesus actually did the miraculous as well, and, and he used the miracle, uh, the miracles that he was doing as, as an appeal to get people to believe in him. He said, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, in other words, if there's not things that I'm doing that only God the Father could do, don't worry about believing me. You don't have to. Isn't that crazy? John 10, 37, 38. It's in the Bible. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, even though you're not really digging what I'm saying right now, believe the works so that you may know and understand the Father's in me and I am in the Father. Jesus put a great deal of weight behind the miracles that he did and they were really, really important to him. They were a big deal and they still are for us too. Jesus said to his disciples, very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. In fact, he's going to do greater works because I'm going to the Father. Whoever believes in me is going to do this. And these signs, it says in Mark, will accompany those who believe. By using my name, they're going to cast out demons. They're going to speak in new tongues. They're going to pick up snakes in their hands. If they drink anything deadly, it's not going to hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. These are signs. These are miracles that follow believers. This is, this is the, we, we should have a trail and a wake of miracles behind us. Right? That, that's, what, that's what marks out the believer according to Jesus. Now, the thing is, they, uh, this is a quote here from, from F.F. Bruce, and I think it's really good, actually. While the miracles served as signs, they were not performed in order to be signs. They were as much a part and parcel of Jesus' ministry as was his preaching, not seals affixed to the document to certify its genuineness, but an integral element in the very document of the text. Jesus didn't just do miracles to say, believe what I'm saying, and this is the proof that I'm right, be healed. Be healed was the message. Be well. Be set free. Bread multiply. Go find money in the mouth of a fish. That was the message. It just wasn't like a little rubber stamp on the end saying, I certify that what I've just said is true. Boop. I'm going to heal your leg. No, miracles are the message. Because our God is a miraculous God. He is the healer. He is our savior. He is our deliverer. This is who he is. So to deny these things, to not let these things have a significant part in our lives, is to really deny a part of the real true identity of Jesus Christ. He is our healer. The apostle in Romans 15, verse 18 and 19, he said, I'm not going to venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. That, that, that's pretty cool in itself, right? We, uh, I, I, want, I want my own God stories, you know? I want, I want my own 
history, my own experience in God, that I can talk to people and say, this is what God did in my life. You know, I don't want to get together and talk about and celebrate, as awesome as it is, how God's doing something, you know, through a ministry that I watched on TV. I don't want to talk about their stories. I want my own. Paul says, I'm, I'm not content to do that. I'm not going to speak of anything beyond what Christ has accomplished through me to win obedience from Gentiles by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem, as far around as Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the good news. You cannot fully proclaim the good news without miracles, signs, and wonders. We cannot. Cannot. Oh, to do it without the power, it's only half the story. Right? Well, there's lots of amens. We're all pretty much in agreement, right? All right, so let's talk about that big elephant in the room then. Let's talk about that thing that's uh, niggling at some of our minds. Miracles are vital. We need them. We absolutely do. But here's the question. What about when we don't see them? What then? Well, thankfully, Jesus had this happen to him. He had this experience. Jesus encountered a situation where he went to his hometown, and it said in Mark chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, he said he could do no powerful deed there except to lay his hands on a few sick people, and he cured them. And he was amazed at the people's unbelief. Who would like to see more miracles? I sure would. I absolutely would. So I think Jesus has something to say to us here when we're in a situation where we feel like we believe we should see. The word of God tells us, the life of Jesus tells us that there, there's more. But wait, there's more. Remember that? There's more. So what, what did Jesus do when he encountered a situation where the miraculous realm wasn't quite working the way it should have been? What did he do? Well, Mark chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. It says, then. Then, after having been in this place where he couldn't do anything because of their unbelief, after that, then, he went about villages teaching. Jesus didn't sit back and say, oh my goodness, Father, you let me down. I'm believing for something, and it didn't happen. And he didn't say, oh, well, miracles must not be for today. And he didn't get discouraged, and he didn't get disappointed. He actually got really involved. And what did he do? He engaged the word. And he started teaching. And I personally believe he started teaching about miracles, signs, and wonders. See, faith comes by hearing, and hearing of the word of God. So we, we have to engage the word and let it build faith in us. We have to not uh, excuse the fact that miracles might not be happening. We have to resist the temptation to double down in religion or some sort of, sort of religious work that's going to try and earn them and pull God down out of heaven. And we just have to embrace the word. See, if Jesus, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, were, were to say to our generation the same thing he said to them, and he said it's because of your unbelief, we have to not get offended by that. But we have to engage the living word as he develops our faith. He is the author and perfecter of my faith. Therefore, if there's something not happening in my life, if I've laid my hands on a sick person and they didn't pop up recovered, I don't feel depressed and I'm not upset. I don't feel condemnation. I don't feel guilt. I believe in Jesus. He who started a good work in me is going to be faithful to see it through to completion. There is never any condemnation for a lack of manifestation, but there's always an ever-present invitation to believe for more. Keep believing. Keep believing. And then, on top of this, not only does he engage the word and starts teaching, but he sends others out to do miracles in his name, and he takes his miracle ministry to the next level. 
he, he encounters this situation of powerlessness, and then he says, okay, well, do you know what? I'm going to show you a God who actually empowers and doesn't criticize weakness, but empowers it. Watch this. These guys, this ragtag bunch of people here who don't really know what's going on, they were formerly fishermen, here you go, I'm going to send them out two by two, and they're going to go do the same thing that you saw me do. He sends out his disciples, and he gives them the authority and the power to cast out demons. He told them to go heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. And that's not all. We have a picture out of the life of Peter where Jesus, he's walking on the water. They're in the storm. And, uh, and Peter says to him, Lord, hey, if that's really you and you're not a ghost, tell me to come to you. In other words, hey, God, if you're really God, make me able to do the miracle that you just did. Wow. Peter's got that kind of faith and that kind of boldness. So Jesus said, all right, come. And Peter walks on that word until he gets distracted and falls. See, people can't walk on water but you can walk on the word of God. He says to Peter when he starts to fall, he gets distracted. He says, hey, why did you have so little faith? Why did you doubt me? And it says when he climbed back in the boat, the disciples worshiped him and said, wow, you really are the son of God. Now, prior to this, in the chronological story of the life of Jesus, the only person who had ever identified Jesus as the son of God was Nathaniel. And there was a miracle attached to that story too. He was sitting under a tree, and Jesus said, hey, before you came, I saw you sitting under that tree. And Nathaniel said, wow, you're the son of God. See, uh, that, that's interesting. When you read the chronological Bible, you see the story is a little bit different. We think it was Peter who said, yeah, you're the Christ. You're the son of God. Nathaniel did it first. The next time that happens is right here. The divinity of Jesus was recognized when he saw his divinity, when people saw his divinity and power at work in others. So Peter walked on the word with the freely given power and authority that word carried to defy the natural order. And when people saw the power of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in the life of another, that's when they said, wow, he must be God. We've had prophets who've done things before, but nobody's multiplied himself in other people. Nobody's been able to give of what they have to another. And, and, and they're like, okay, this is amazing. This is some new level stuff. So, Here's the thing. We got like five more minutes. And in five minutes, I want to talk to you about the how-to and the practical guide to doing miracles. <laughs> Sounds good, eh? Sounds catchy. Sounds like a book. Probably is. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The power is always the power of God. It's the dunamis power of the Spirit of God. And it's received. Matthew 10, verse 8, Jesus said, after he sent them out and he said, go do all this amazing stuff. Go heal the sick. Go raise the dead. Go cleanse the lepers. He said, freely you've received, freely give. That's a massive key right there. Freely received what? Freely received power. Freely given authority. No tricks, no gimmicks, no religious aesthetics to pull them off. Just freely given power and freely given authority. And I think that's what trips us up sometimes. We feel like we need to earn it. We feel like we need to qualify for it. We feel like we need to do a couple different steps. When the reality is, Jesus said, freely you've received. Authority is given. You don't earn authority to do miracles. You're never going to have the power to do them. It's given. Jesus gives it to us. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his authority. He gives us his name. And we just have to say thank you and then actually put it to work. 
So Galatians chapter 5, verse 5, or it's actually 3, verse 5. Uh, he's talk, Paul is talking to the Galatians, and he asks them a rhetorical question. He says, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by believing what you've heard? And of course, the answer is by believing what you've heard. John 6, verse 29. There's these people bugging Jesus and saying, hey, we want to do the works of God too. What you're doing is awesome. How do we work the works of God? And he said, hey, you know what? This is the only work that God wants from you. The only work. Believe in the one whom he has sent. That's it. Only believe. I used to say only believe. Now I say only believe. Nothing else. No hamburger helper. No nothing. Just, just believe. Only. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10, it talks about a gift of the Holy Spirit that is that it's called the working of miracles. And uh, miracles, supernatural intervention in the ordinary course of nature. And uh, the word workings means the energizing power to work a miracle. It's God who empowers, and it's the believer who acts. Now, is that a contradiction? Is that a faith contradiction? The working of miracles, the spiritual gift, a faith contradiction? No, absolutely not. See, how do I know that I have faith for healing? How do I know, how do I know that I have faith that if I, I have the power and the authority to heal the sick? I actually go put my hands on sick people because I believe it, right? It's not me that does it. It's God. But I believe that he will. So I take that faith step and I work that miracle. I believe I have a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or something that I want to share with somebody. I, I follow the appropriate protocol and I take the step and I do it. There's something that needs to get dealt with in the, in the spiritual thing. I take authority and I do it. And that's not, a, that's not a contradiction. See, faith works. Without faith or without works, faith is dead. So there is a faith. There's a conviction. There's a, there's a settling in your consciousness. I am empowered. I am a miracle and I am empowered to do a miracle. And that faith, that consciousness, that actually propels you to do stuff. So it's faith in the name of Jesus. It's using freely given power, freely giving authority, but it's actually using it. It's actually doing it. It's actually putting my hand on that sick person and praying. And you know what? If I do it and it doesn't happen, I'm doing it in the absolute faith that it will. I 100% am. And if it doesn't, I'm praying again. And then I'm going to saturate myself in the word of God and good teaching that builds me up in the faith and edifies me and causes me to know and to believe that, all right, you might not have seen it there, but you should have and you will. Keep going. Keep believing. And I'm going to keep engaging the word of God that's going to keep causing me to rise up in faith and faith to rise up in me because faith comes by hearing and hearing the rhema word of God. And eventually, man, something's going to pop. Something inside of me is going to pop, and I'm going to start walking in that miraculous realm all the time, not because I've earned it, not because I've worked for it, but because the Word of God has worked faith in me, and I believe it. And I'm doing it in confidence. This is going to happen. It's actually pretty good. We have 25 minutes. Wow. Praise Jesus. It is a miracle. We've seen one. Praise the Lord. All right, so the, the summary of all this is this. We really can't represent Jesus, who fully represents the Father, without miracles. We can't. If we're, if we're having a presentation of the gospel and the word of his grace, and there's not the accompanying signs that manifests the inheritance that that grace brings into our lives, we've only got half the message. So we need it. We really do. But the power and the authority to do it, it's freely given. There's always this, uh, this connection in the New Testament, particularly you can read about it in Romans chapter 4, between grace and faith. 
God said it's by faith that it might be by grace. We're, Ephesians chapter 2, we're saved by grace through faith. Faith and grace work together. You want to walk in faith? Believe in grace. You, you know, you want to you see this stuff, you, you believe, and that is the grace of God. So it's freely given. Freely given. We need it, but we can't get our emotional entanglements and the desperation that sometimes we feel. And the, the, the maybe let's be honest here, sometimes the disappointments. God, I was believing you for a miracle, and, and it didn't seem to happen. And sometimes that can cause you to pull back a little bit. Don't. Let me encourage you just to feel that and press on. Use that as, as an opportunity to say, you know what, uh, might not have happened this time, but my God does want to do it. He's forever said, yes, I do will. And I got this last thing as an encouragement. It is, it is through the working of miracles in us and through us that the divinity, the identity, the power in the person of Jesus Christ is going to be seen again in the world. And you know what? It only takes little faith steps. See, a lot of us, we, we look at Peter and say, hey, he fell. But you know what? He got out of the boat. He actually walked on water. And because he took a couple of faith steps, oh, granted, he, he fell. He did. Let's be honest. But he walked on water. He took a couple steps on the water. He's taking some faith steps. He's learning. He's pushing out into this realm of the miraculous. And wow, look what happened. The disciples actually came to see for the very first time, all of them, you really are the Son of God. What an amazing thing. So let's, let's not us be afraid to believe God for the miraculous. If we've backed down, if we've backed away from it, step back into your faith. Step back in and believe again, because God wants to do it. He really does. He's already said yes in Jesus Christ. Amen?